Greetings, travelers. My name is Thomas Drack McBride, and you're listening to Opening the Gate. Welcome to Opening the Gate. My name is Thomas Strachan McBride, and here with me is... Hello, I am Larcito. How do you do? So, Larcito, he's the guy that introduced me to a lot of things fantasy, more mainly Dungeons & Dragons, so big shout out for him for that. I'm a big fat nerd when it comes to Dungeons & Dragons. I still have more books than you, though. Ha! Doesn't matter. Either way. I know more than you. Ha! That's true. Um, so today we are not talking about Dungeons and Dragons. We are actually going to be talking about Lord of the Rings, the Which inspiration of Dungeons and Dragons. Literally, you can take every character in uh, Lord of the Rings and make them super easily in Dungeons and Dragons because they were created off them. Indeed. But anyways, to make this simple, we are not talking about every single thing. This is going to be the first of many things that we are talking about for Lord of the Rings. And that's okay. But I think the general idea for this episode is definitely going to be giving a lot of background information on the history of Lord of the Rings and kind of what went into its creation and a lot of the base concepts that are necessary for people to understand when talking about it. Yeah. Specifically, the man himself, J.R.R. Tolkien. So, when it came to... um, How much do you know about Tolkien? Tolkien? I know a fair bit, actually. I haven't... uh like particularly researched a lot about his life, but I have heard uh, a few things uh, that were interesting, uh, especially when you kind of apply them to the works that he's done. Uh, It's interesting to see the influences of different facets of his life in his writing. Okay. So what do you know about like the early parts? Okay. So, Specifically, J.R.R. Tolkien, he was a very edu- very intelligent, very educated guy, right? Uh, he's from England. Uh, he was able to, uh, like, I believe he has a degree in English, if I'm not mistaken. He's a writer. So he, um, so getting this from the Tolkien Society website about Tolkien, which is great. Mm-hmm. So he was born to a technically like a lordship. Um, so he's technically partially royalty, which is interesting, kind of a funky thing. Um, and his degree, so he has degrees in, um, specific, uh, degrees. Where was it? Interesting. Cause he went to Oxford, like the big university there. Right. And has, um, uh, when, when he's, uh, a second class degree in honor moderation about the great English classics. Um, so he also has, I can't, I can't find exactly where, but most of his degrees are in languages like English and ancient and old English. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But by the time he was like 16, he fluently spoke, because um, this is important, um, he spoke Greek, Latin, Finnish, English, French, and um, could read Old English and um, Gothic, which is, and like Anglo-Saxon, what barbar- what the idea of barbarian spoke. Right. Like Germanic tribes, that kind of thing. Yeah. Gotcha. Interesting. That's yeah, insane. I'm I'm uh, quite a bit older than that, and yet I still can only barely speak two languages. Okay, so, so congratulations. That was by the time he was 21. That was 21. by the time he okay. was 21. So slightly old, around our age. S- sl- around our age, slightly older, but... And yeah. Um. So yeah, that's, that's kind of... So... Based on that, we can deduce that he's a very intelligent guy. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so when it came to languages, because a big part, oops, sorry, microphone, um, of him like writing Lord of the Rings and all those was because he had a love of languages mm-hmm. and he always wanted to create more. So when he was um, in, uh, he, he always loved poems like old english poems mm-hmm. and one that was kind of the idea of middle earth for him i don't have the name of it uh it was part of one of the poems um from the biography place it says one of the poems he discovered in the course of his old english studies was the christ of Seenwolf, i believe is how you pronounce it which I'm not even going to try to pronounce the old English version because I don't know how to say most of the things. But what it translates to is Hail Arendelle, brightest of angels over Middle Earth sent to men. So, and the term Middle and Earth is from the old English Mid Midangerd, I think. Someone's going to correct me eventually on how to pronounce things, but trying. Um, was, if anyone an here's a language expert, please do leave a comment. <laughs> yes. Twitter, tell you later how to do it. It'll be in the descriptions and all that. Um, but that, it was an, ex- an ancient expression for everyday wor- the everyday world between heaven above and hell below. So that's the idea of Middle Earth, where that terminology distinctly came from gotcha okay yeah and which i think is just really interesting um and so he when he was around this time um pretty much right when world war um one like the starting of that was happening Mm -hmm. he because he fought in both world wars right which changed a lot of what he who he was oh, absolutely. and definitely influenced his writing yes. so around that time he was trying to invent languages and um so when he finally achieved his first class degree in um literature i can't quite find which one he it was in but it was at uh, oxford um he was trying to write poems and stuff and he invented a language one that came known 
specific like that is we know a lot as elvish or the pretty much the father of elvish is kenya uh key it's spelt q e n y a kenya kenya I, I have no idea um i don't either um but that was his first language that he wrote that became um the father how we think of latin to the latin languages the romance languages so it was like the progenitor of elvish in middle earth yeah gotcha so and then as he uh he survived world war one evidently though he he uh he got typhus Mm -hmm. and well, Trent, what was known as trench fever. So that made him go home for Christmas where he right. recovered with his wife at their castle. <laughs> wouldn't you love that? Just, oh, I get sick from the war. I'm going to go home to my castle. Well, I wouldn't want to get typhus or be anywhere near World War One. That, that's uh, true. So that's true. <laughs> I, 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 I'll, I'll take what I'm given. That is very true. Um, so around this time was when he was writing a book that later, something that later beyond, uh, came to know is the Book of Lost Tales, which he ne- he didn't see published. It was mainly done by his uh, son, Christopher. Um, but it a lot of it also ended up being in the Semerillion. Mm-hmm. So this is where we get the, ter- the uh, story of the beginnings of elves and where they came from and their languages which were the weird one that I Ken Kenya Kenya some Tolkien expert please correct us and then another one called Gold Goldogrin Goldogrin um and then this is where in in these writings are where we find the first age of Middle Earth now when it comes to all that so there's in Middle Earth, the world of Lord of the Rings, there are many different time periods, and a lot of the the books only take place in one of these, and that is the Third Age of the Years of the Trees. I know that's kind of confusing. We're going to ignore the Years of the Trees and all that. Why that's there? Because those are like the creation of the world, and there's different. There's three different versions of three different time periods before that. But I personally don't know much about the three. So yeah, um, <laughs> we're going to talk mainly about the year of the years of the trees, which are then cut into what we know as the first age, second age, third age, and fourth age in the first age is when most of the Semerillion uh, book that is really good and I'm trying to get through right now. And it focuses a lot on the lead buildup to the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. Specifically, this guy by the name of Morgoth. He's the bad guy. He is the personification of evil. Gotcha. Okay. And there's a story in the history of Lord of the Rings about a elf maiden and her her husband um their names 
Luthien and Baron. Have you heard those names before there, Larcito? Uh, they do sound familiar. Okay, I'll tell you why in a second. So these two, Luthien and Baron, are the ancestors of most of the main players who aren't hobbits in The Lord of the Rings. Gotcha, okay. So Elrond, one of their descendants. Aragorn, one of their descendants. So these Aragorn? two, yeah, Aragorn. Okay, I was like, different franchise. <laughs> I hate that they wrote them so similar. Aragorn yeah. and Aragorn. And even when watching the movies, people pronounce them differently. It's, it's just it's frustrating. It's a cool it's name, though. So It is. It's it fine. Really is. There's a lot of cool names in uh, the Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. in the Tolkien world. Tolkien world. So back to Morgoth. He is literally defeated by Lutheran and Baron. A lot of stuff happens between their defeat and everything, but the Semmerling covers that. And if you really want to dive into it, go for it. Um, so he is thrown into this thing called the timeless void where he's going to be until the end of days. That's all we need to know about Morgoth. He's big bad guy and his second in charge, his second in command was this guy by the name of Sauron. Oh, you know that guy, right? Yeah. You know that guy? Absolutely. He has more names than just Sauron done. At this point, he was actually went by the name of Myron, I believe. So Sauron, Myron, whatever you want to call him, he is the main bad guy of the entire Lord of the Rings Hobbit. Well, the Hobbit kind of. He is a background enemy and the reason why the Hobbit actually happens. Okay. Except for Smaug and Erebor and all that. But like the orcs and all that, the reason why the orcs try to take that is because the kingdom under the mountain is because Sauron is back. Yeah, makes sense. And at the end of the first age is when Morgoth falls. Second age. We do not know a lot about the second age. We don't. But that is all we know currently is that the descendants of Lutheran and Baron, so Elrond, Gilgad, and Elendil on different sides, this is when they come along and this guy by the name of Isildur and the battle of the, for the one ring kind of starts. So this is when the rings of power come in. Mm-hmm. Now, basics of that, because there's going to be an entire Amazon show about this and it's going to be great. Hopefully fingers crossed. Um, Sauron had, uh, many rings made for people, three k- rings for the elven Kings under the sky, seven for the Dwarf Lords in their halls of stone, nine for the mortal men doomed to die. One for the Dark Lord on his dark throne, in the land of Mordor, where the shadows lie. One ring to rule them all, one ring to find them, one ring to bring them all, and in the darkness bind them, in the land of Mordor, where the shadows lie. That doesn't sound edgy at all. This do- <laughs> No, no, and not like possibly 
bad guy material, you know, no, not at all. just randomly, hey, kings of the elves and the kings of men take these rings. There's nothing scary about them. They give you magic powers. Oh, awesome. <laughs> bad things happen. So based on my understanding of the rings, right? Uh, Sauron effectively wanted to take control over Middle Earth. And that was the reason why he had the rings made in the first place, right? And so he shipped them off to the different rulers. uh, And when the rulers like wore the rings, they got power. Yes. But Sauron also was able to, with the one ring, control them. Kind of. But yes, so the th- the nine king rings that went to the men, they become this thing called the Nazgul. Or uh, yes, the, the ring wraiths. The ring wraiths. The really creepy dudes who are just creepy. Um, the, not, the seven that went to the dwarf lords mostly just made them really greedy. That makes they sense. They didn't. So that's where um, when it comes to the Mines of Moria, that's because one of the guys, I don't have all the names, but one of the kings of the dwarves was the one who was over Moria, Moria and he dug too deep and there's a Belrog, mm-hmm. which sucks and everybody died. And then another one w- went to Erebor, which is why he got super greedy and kept digging and that fire found the Arkenstone and the Hobbit happens. Mm-hmm. The three that went to the elves weren't actually made by Sauron. They were a suggestion by this guy named Calabrimbor, who, if you've played the Shadow of Mordor and Shadow of War games, you know who that is. He made those rings just to be like, oh, these are great. But Sauron still kind of went like, hey, if you have all these three rings together close enough and I have the one ring, I can then control elves. So that's the rings of power. That's I'm pretty sure that's how it works. Um, They're going to go more in detail in the TV show and hopefully it's good. We'll talk more about that later. So second age is the war of the last alliance of elves and men where it culminates in the siege of Baradur. And this is the beginning and opening of the Lord of the Rings movies. Um, This is when Elendil, the current king of Gondor, and the men and elves, they just go all out against Sauron. And then Isildur, the son of Elendil, is also there because... You know, got to fight with dad. Sauron kills the leaders of the elves and the men. Mm-hmm. He just kills them. Elendil and this guy by the name of Gilgad, they challenge Sauron to single combat and Sauron wins because he has this great power of the one ring. That's, I think the movie, I'm not really sure about the theatrical cut, but in the Extended, they definitely have the part when he just enters the battlefield and just wrecks everybody. And mm-hmm. it's beautiful. And that is how I will always envision it. And Isildur um, sees his father die as the sword 
his father's sword, the sword of Elendil, Narsil, as it's called, is just shattered. So it's literally shorter than a dagger. It's like the size of a kitchen knife. Mm -hmm. And Sauron's like, oh, this small human, I'm going to crush him as I know he is the son. He is the prince of Gondor. I'm going to end him and end men's hope. Because if he had done this, all men would have just lost hope. There would have been no king. The line of men, kings, would just be over. And then definitely not everything would have just gone for the Dark Lord. But mm-hmm. Isildur cuts off his fingers. Just his fingers. And then he loses the one ring. And Sauron's physical form is destroyed and they win the war. How yeah. that adds up, I have known people who've chopped their fingers off and not died. Well, I think a lot of it is uh, portrayed fairly well in the movie. It seemed that the ring was the thing that was sustaining Sauron. Uh, that's where like, he put all of his power. And when it was removed from him, he's no longer able to manifest a physical form. Um, yeah, that's... Because it does say destroys Sauron, destroying like that's the de- the destruction of Sauron's physical form. Mm-hmm. And most right. of this he's still per- present, but not in a physical way. Yeah. So this is where we are at the beginning of the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. Kind of. This is what we know as the Third Age, and then it goes into the Hobbit, and then the Lord of the Rings. So that is the entire background of these movies, these amazing movies, books, everything. Yes. It's a lot. There, there is so much much more even mention. There's so much more. The, the thing that's so interesting about middle earth as a setting, uh, is that there is so much background. There is so much backstory. There is a history that has already happened. Uh, and we're only seeing the modern, depiction of it so to speak it's a lot it's very similar to how tolkien felt about the world in itself uh he fleshed out a huge history of things in the past that had happened similar to what he was going through when he was like going through world war one world war two these bad events that were happening weren't the only things that happened other things that he saw as more important happened years prior uh and because of that like he's able to get a, a sense of such a vast scope in his uh, books and that uh, people were able to translate that very well into the movies that it's just something kind of, there's something magical about uh, middle earth as a setting because of it. I love Lord of the Rings so much, but now to the actual time period of Lord of the Rings, when it takes place, is very different from the first and second ages. Well, kind of. So, Larcito. Yeah, what's up? Do you know the main like kingdoms and things that are going on at the time of the Lord of the Rings? Like well, the Hobbit. It, at the time of Lord of the Rings, a lot of the kingdoms or factions are split off uh, by race. Right? Dwarves 
depending on which uh, kingdom they come from, are either like living in their mountain homes or they are uh, exiled from them for various reasons, having to wander from place to place, uh, finding shelter elsewhere. Uh, but they usually like have good ties with each other. Uh, then there are the elves who I think this is where the or- original trope of elves, not liking dwarves comes from. They just, they're, they kind of butt heads a little bit. Yeah. You can, it goes into that in a little bit in the Hobbit in that the elves didn't help the dwarves this one time. And now the dwarves are kind of salty about that. Dwarves are uh, very salty about super that. Super salty about that. Uh, but it's all good. Things resolve. Thanks, uh, Tolkien. Uh, but the elves are, I wouldn't say they're pretentious, but they're very much detached from the world itself uh, based that, off of their their whole uh, deal. is actually It's actually quite interesting to get into, but I'm sure we'll talk about it. Because they're immortal. Literally, yeah. they're immortal, so they live forever and then see everything else is fleeting. And they go to, El- they go to the land of the West to do... Uh, Grey Havens. To Grey Havens, yeah, that's it. Yeah, to live forever uh, and ignore people. So the elves are their own deal. They are kind of friendly with each other, uh, excluding. They're a little bit exclusionary towards the other races and kind of see them as ephemeral and not worth attaching themselves to, which makes sense because they live forever. Um, then we go over to the kingdoms of men, uh, which. It's it's I would say it's fairly similar to a lot of like human fantasy settings in that there are various different kingdoms. Uh, they're at the moment not at war with each other, uh, and usually they have fairly good relations, like the King of Rohan, King of Gondor, uh, are the the two big ones that play uh, major roles in Lord of the Rings. Um, and then you go to the Hobbits, who are just really chill they're just really chill happy-go-lucky bumpkins living in their holes uh and i think that uh the hobbits especially are just are just something so adorable uh that really helps make the setting interesting oh yeah and then don't forget about the kingdoms of mordor with the orcs and uh all of the evil shenanigans that go on over there yeah, and then there's actually a third thing of men called the Easterlings. Yeah. Which are just bad dudes. Um which I think is just kind of funny. It's like, "Oh, yes, the kingdoms of men. There's Gondor, there's Rohan. Rohan. And the Easterlings. Good. And the Easterlings, they uh they they they're bad guys. Why? Lore reasons, but yeah, they're that bad guys. They're bad guys. Anyways, so when it comes to the main kingdoms, the main ones that are the Lord of the Rings, the hobbits are like the biggest and most important thing that if you look at the like backstory and the appendices, they're barely there. Literally part of the story of why the hobbits are still the Shire and protected is because the kingdom of... Numenor or the Dunedain people. Mm-hmm. So pretty much Aragorn went, you know, I know that there are some good people there and they don't really want to fight because they've already fought once or twice with the orcs and goblins. We should just protect them. And that's why they are so peaceful. 
Yeah. They're, they're just chilling in the Shire and they don't want nothing to do with nobody. I think the best description you can get from them is in the hot in uh, not the Hobbit, the Lord of the Rings. There's an entire chapter just about hobbits and how they love food and ale and smoking pipe weed and just they just chilling. Like it's great. Um yeah. And then there's Gondor, which their whole shtick is we protect the world from Mordor. This is why we are here. We have a field between us and the Black Gate. And then there's a couple of cities in between, but it's us and the Black Gate. We defend them. Why? Because they are Gondor and they're the manliest men. Pretty much think of the idea of Romans. The idea of Gondor came from like old Romans and how the Romans saw themselves mm-hmm. as the coolest. And then there's just Rohan, which is just, hi, we're uh, horse Vikings. Horse Vikings for the win. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, as I, I firmly say that Rohan is my favorite of the kingdoms because it's just like, yeah, we chill. We are Vikings, but we use horses. We're Vikings, but our boats are horses. Thank yes. you. <laughs> And then Mordor, they're the bad guys. Yeah, that's pretty much it when it comes yeah. to the kingdoms at the time. Yeah, for sure. It's interesting to, if you take a look at the kingdoms and see what they represent, especially like coming from the eyes of Tolkien, right? I think that for Tolkien, this guy who has gone through two world wars and has had a terrible time in both of them, uh, I think that's one of the reasons why he made the hobbits so friendly and pure uh, is because that's what that's what he wants. Right. And a lot of these stories are actually coming from stories that he told his kids. And so I feel that the hobbit aspect of things is very much tailored to the idea of happiness, joy, peace, not having to fight and kill people. Uh, and so that's kind of an interesting little aspect of why he made the hobbits so central to the setting is because that's the central idea of most of his works is that you should be peaceful. You should try to be nice. You should try to be simple. Life is a good life. Uh, that kind of idea. And going off of hobbits, we can talk about them for a bit, like who we actually follow. Cause so most of what has happened in the past almost 40 minutes is mostly background. So now we're just going to talk a little bit about the movie. So if you want no, absolutely no spoilers, this is when you'd want to stop because we might spoil some things of Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit because we've both seen it. So if you don't want spoilers, that's the backstory of the Lord of the Rings. But and to be fair, how many years has it been since the Lord of the Rings came out? Well, have you heard of uh, pu- the public domain? Yes. Well, in I'm talking about the movies specifically. The movies it's been it's been my lifetime. They came out the Fellowship of the Ring came out in 2001. Yet yeah, I'm small boy. I'm older um, than Lord of the Rings. Fight me. Let's go. <laughs> I'm not. I. Actually, I am by a little bit because my mom went to go see them in the theaters with me as a child. (laughs) Yeah. So the Lord of the Rings 
they're 20 years old. So if you haven't seen them or don't really know a lot about it, bravo for living in the world that you don't know about it, but I'm not sure how. Yeah, I'm not, I, I don't think it would have been possible for me to not know anything about Lord of the Rings. Especially if you're listening to a podcast on, you know, a Lord phone. That's true. On Lord yeah. of the Rings. And you probably have someone in your life who talks a lot about Lord of the Rings. I Most do. people do. I love Lord of the Rings. Anyways, so incoming spoilers for those who haven't watched this 20-year-old movie. Anyways, so Frodo Baggins, the family of the Baggins, Bilbo and Frodo. They're awesome. Hobbits. We could go into family history of the Baggins and Tooks and all that, but we're not going to do that because we're just going to talk about the Fellowship of the Ring. So the main characters of the Lord of the Rings can be filled into three main groups, really. The Fellowship and their allies, the Nazgul, and then Gollum. <laughs> yeah, he's, just he's, Gollum. Something, in, he's, he's just, something in his own right. He's just Gollum. Oh, <laughs> I love it. So Fellowship of the Ring, they consist of Mainly nine people. Frodo, Frodo Baggins, Samwise Gamgee, Mary, Mariotic Brandybuck, Mary, Peregrine Took or Pippin, and then Gimli, Legolas, Aragorn, Gandalf. The nine members of the Fellowship. So what do you know about the Fellowship of the Ring dudes? Okay, so Frodo, Mary, Pippin, and Sam, all hobbits, all really chill. Uh, Pippin and Mary are absolute loons uh, and love nothing more than trolling people and eating food. Uh, Sam is a wonderful, he's just a good bean. There, there's nothing more to be said about Sam. He's just a good guy. He's, he's just a good the best too. boy. He's just he's, the he's, best. He's the good boy. If someone says that you are Sam uh, from Lord of the Rings, take that as a huge compliment. Uh, and then, then there's Frodo, who is protagonist. <laughs> He's the protagonist. He has his own issues. Sam is a better person. That's my opinion. Oh yeah, uh, I agree with that. <laughs> Sam is a much better person than Frodo. Frodo is like strong will, but like without Sam, Lord of the Rings, have, he would have died so many times. World would have ended <laughs> multiple times. Thank you, Sam. You're the best. Thank you, Sam. Uh, so those are the hobbits. Uh, Legolas is pretentious elf boy who in the beginning uh, in the beginning and then softens up more later towards the end uh, i'm pretty sure he's a, isn't he an elvish prince or something like that he is so he is the prince of the woodland realm or as modern we call it mirkwood M- prince yeah. of mirkwood yeah mirkwood okay. and yeah he's the prince of mirkwood and the prince of the woodland realm and then there's his best friend by the end of the series. Worst enemy by the beginning, best end by the friend. Yes. Gimli, who is, if you've read The Hobbit or know anything about The Hobbit. Just a massive reference. <laughs> yeah, it's literally just, hey, this is the, my, you should read this book and know about this guy's dad. That's it. And I think it's hilarious because it's Gimli, son of Gluin. And throughout the entire book of Fellowship of the Ring and well, the rest of it, he just references a little bit of The Hobbit every once in a while. and He is basically just the living reference. Yes, 
he is a hey you should read this book and but Gimli's awesome he's he's a dwarf and if you watch the movies I'll be honest I love almost anything that Gimli says that isn't in a huge like epic battle scene that's not a joke all of the like comedic comic relief in the Lord of the Rings is so good because it's legless and Gimli two completely stoic and serious characters saying things that the audience takes as hilarity. It's great. I, especially in the, the two towers and any major battle scene, it's just so good. Absolutely. Constantly counting how many people they, how many orcs they kill. I love it. It's a great time. It then honestly it comes- seems like a D and D party. It's great. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> On that note, I, I, I've seen so many things that like The Hobbit is a perfect example of a under leveled party who decide to go after the big dragon yep. immediately so that spoilers, he gets killed off screen <laughs> <laughs> and then Lord of the Rings is just like, oh, The Hobbits. Yeah, you guys are super under leveled and you want to go do this. OK, um, I'm going to call my buddies and help have them help you succeed and that's the lord of the rings because the next three are the in my opinion coolest guys in the books absolutely and the movie does one of them super dirty boromir Mm. in the books he is so awesome in the movie he's just sean bean who dies like in the book in the council of elrond um he just said, he's like, oh, Aragorn is supposed to be the king of Gondor. I will follow you. I believe that we need a king. I will follow you. I don't, yeah, the one ring, all that, that's cool. But I will follow you to the ends of the earth. And that to me is something that I wish they had in the movie because in the movie, they just make him seem like a big old meanie. That's true. He redeems himself in the end though. He, he does, but the book it's like yeah i love aragorn i'm gonna follow him he is my king so that's great and then aragorn the dopest dude they ever doped the dude (laughs) (laughs) yeah basically aragorn the ranger the boss the heir to the throne he is so cool (laughs) aragorn also known as the chieftain of the Dunedain, heir of Isilor, high king of of the Dunedain, king of Arnor, king of Gondor, Strider, and Wingfoot. Nice. He is just everything. And yeah, in this, this is one of the weird books that has two protagonists and two separate stories and balances it so well. Because there's the story of Frodo and the One Ring, which is all the hobbits. It is them being secretive. It is them being quiet. And then there's just, hi, I'm Aragorn. I am becoming, I need to become the king of Gondor and bring the time of men. Well, he he goes through a whole character arc before he even tries to be doing that. But yes. Because he but doesn't start out wanting to be king because he's like, I'm kind of salty at everyone. Yeah. And especially in the movies, in the book, he's a little bit more okay with it 
that he should become king at the Council of Enelrond. He's like, yeah, fine. Like he's he's very uh, he just huffy, huffy re- about it. Yeah, reluctant then, to do so. Yeah, that's the word, reluctant. And by the end, he's like, you know, this is my duty. I need to do this, which is awesome. And then there's Gandalf, who we didn't talk about in the previous section because he is an angel. He yeah. is an ange- literally an angelic being, which yeah. nobody talks about, which is kind of weird. That's and, a whole thing that we should probably get into. <laughs> but we'll do that in a, another episode yeah. later on when we have people who know a little bit more about that because I just know he's an angelic being who gets reincarnated. Basically. Yeah. Yeah, he is a wizard, and that's what wizards are in this setting. They're angelic beings who get reincarnated. Yes. And then their ally, their main allies are the um, Rohirrim, like mm. the men of Rohan. Um, and then Gondor, kind of, and Faramir. Specifically Faramir, who is Boromir's little brother, who is awesome. Faramir's and, great. Yeah. I love his his playing him in the Lego Lord of the Rings because he's the only guy who has a bow and a sword. Only one? He is the only one that I could find. Aragorn, just a big sword. Aragorn. Um, Aragorn. Legolas, Aragorn, not even? Like, come Legolas, on. Like, he has his daggers, but you only when you get into, like, close combat can you use them. But, like, he has a bow, so he can do all the things that Legolas can bow wise and has a sword so it's just like great which is really funny because a lot of characters in the books and movies have both that's so weird anyways anyways (laughs) that's a lord of the rings lego it's a fun thing lego please sponsor us oh please do i would love love to get that get sponsored by lego but yeah so they're great. That's that's the main allies to the fellowship. Then there's the Nazgul. They're the Ringwraiths, the nine. They sense the ring and they will always hunt it down till the ends of the earth. Mm-hmm. They're just bad. The Nazgul were like originally the nine kings of men that received the rings of power when Sauron first like gave it to them. And they were kind of like enslaved. Their entire being was forced into servitude to the point where they're basically undead creatures which is why they are called ring wraiths a lot of the time uh and their their basic one basically one purpose is just serve sauron and their goal during the books is to find the ring return it to sauron so he can manifest in physical form again and also lead the war that too yeah specifically the witch king of angmar yeah who is the leader of the nazgul leader of the ring wraiths he is like if you've seen it or Want to know a little bit more about him? He is foretold and prophesied never to be killed by a man, which is true. Um, But it's just, they're so cool. Like, I think they're such cool bad guys. Extremely. They, they, They do a good job of being the faceless villain with character. And also, especially in the movies, like when on the top of Weathertop, spoilers, as you know, Top of Weathertop when Frodo gets stabbed. Yeah. When he puts on the ring and like, usually they're just like, 
I always kind of related them to Dementors in yeah, Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah. They kind of look like that in like the real world, but the instant they're like Frodo puts on the ring, you see who they are and everything. And it's just so much creepier. And like, that's the power of the ring. Mm-hmm. That is Sauron's power. And they, it's just so freaky and awesome. And they lead the orc armies. Um, Kind of from afar for most of it, but sometimes they're on the battlefield, specifically in the Battle of the Fields of Pelennor. Right. But that's that's pretty much it. And then there's Gollum. Oh right? my. Gollum. Gollum. <laughs> that. Uh, anyway, Gollum's backstory he's a creepy little hobbit. Uh, so when- <laughs> that's perfect. Gollum's backstory. <laughs> Creepy little hobbit. That is all you need to know. That's, He's that's just pretty much creepy it. and a hobbit. The idea is that he found the ring of Sauron because the king of man that killed Sauron or like banished Sauron Sildor. took the ring. Uh, a silver, yeah. Uh, took the ring and was wearing it and was eventually like hunted down, killed, and the ring like basically left him because it has kind of a mind of its own. Uh, and hid away in a river for like, wasn't it a couple hundred years or something like that? Um, it was almost a thousand years, actually. Yeah, it just hid in a river for like almost a thousand years uh, until two hobbits were fishing. Uh, Golem, or uh, what was he known as at the time? So it was Smeagol and Smeagol. Deagle. Smeagol and Deagle. Weren't they like brothers? Right? Cousins. Cousins, yeah. Smeagol and Deagle, cousins. They're fishing on a river. Smeagol uh, found the ring. Nope. Uh, got super greedy. Deagle or, found the ring. Deagle found the ring, that's right. Deagle found the ring in the thing, and it, he's like, oh, this is my ring. It's my birthday today. No, it was Gollum, uh, Smeagol's birthday. And, yeah. And so the ring has, like, this effect on those who see it that people want to possess it. People want to use it. Uh and it kind of like corrupts them slowly because of that. But so Deagle finds the ring. Uh, Smeagol's like, hey, it's my birthday. Give it. And Deagle's like, no. And then Smeagol's like, yes. And then Smeagol chokes him out and kills him. Uh, That's, yeah. that Yeah. Uh, takes the ring, goes and lives in the mountains for the rest of his life, eating raw fish and slowly uh, dem- uh, demaciates into what is now known as Golem, the really stick thin, creepy hobbit guy. Yeah, and his, and then Bilbo st- steals the ring from him, and then Lord of the Rings happens, and Gollum shows up and helps Frodo and Sam, but is also only serving himself, so it's really weird. Well, he he has a whole thing like schizophrenia deal going on with him, where he yeah. has this internal struggle against Smeagol versus Gollum. Smeagol trying to be a good person, Gollum trying to get the ring and be a bad person. Yeah, um, and that's that's those are the main characters and main players in lord of the rings yeah a lot a lot of the names that you would need to know uh yeah. for getting larcito have you ever fully watched the theatrical releases of the lord of the rings the theatrical re- releases i cannot say that i have because have I, I am an extended edition purist uh thank you <laughs> so i kind of agree with that but we will not judge people i will not judge anyone for watching because Obviously they're like three not. hours long yes so yes. if you just want to watch them 
Sure. But if you have someone in your life who really loves Lord of the Rings and wants you to watch them with you, you're not watching the theatrical cut. Most likely you're watching the extended editions. Personally, I think they're better. Yeah, absolutely. There, there is so much that is lost in the theatrical cuts that is just so fantastic in the extended editions. Um, so my opinion of it is the, is the following. If you have the opportunity to watch the theatrical edition or the extended edition, I strongly recommend the strength, uh, extended edition as it has so much more detail and brings so much more of like the books into the movie. And it explains a lot of things a lot better. Yeah. Now, that being said, if someone watches the theatrical edition, I'm not going to uh, burn down their house or anything. I'm just sad that they have missed out on. We will, we will give them an opportunity experience. to try again. Yes, obviously. And because we hate gatekeeping, just watch what you can read. If you can read the books, they're great. Fantastic. Um, but or if you can't listen to them on audible, audible, please sponsor us. Yes. Yes. <laughs> give me a job too. <laughs> um, so, Arcito, how long have you, what's your, what are like, when it comes to Lord of the Rings, what do you think about? What's like your earliest memories? What are, what, what's your story with Lord of the Rings? Gotcha. So my earliest memories of Lord of the Rings was me seeing my siblings watching something cool and then joining in the, on the bandwagon. Right. Uh, and so I didn't really know what was happening half the time because I was, four five maybe uh when uh this was happening and i could barely remember anything about the day uh but something that always stuck out to me was like i was kind of saying earlier is it had lord of the rings as a setting and as a story just has this sense of majesty to it it's just very grand and adventurous feeling uh it's it's something that is hard to describe uh and hard to replicate too Uh, there's just there's just certain franchises like harry potter for example uh that just capture a sense of whimsy and fun but also incorporate like enjoyable action and excitement and things like that and that's just kind of what I attribute to the Lord of the Rings. It's whimsical, fun, action-packed, enjoyable, great story. It's it's the mystical. Yeah. It's the, it's the majesty of the magic. And I think that's one of the most important things with Lord of the Rings. It is one of the most important things with Lord of the Rings is the fact that it was pretty much the first epic of our time of the modern age of humanity in our, like our time, Mm -hmm. I would easily compare it to like the Iliad, the Odyssey with just how much of an impact they've had on us as people. Mm -hmm. Like for me, I will always remember being scared out of my mind by my older brother doing his Gollum impression. (laughs) And like, I can do a pretty good one, but I'm no like, So when you're four years old and your parents tell you, you can't watch Lord of the Rings because it's too scary. And then your brother just like, yes, precious, the starless famous in the middle of the night while you're sleeping and grabs your leg randomly. That's that scars you for life. Um, no, uh, I I hope you're okay there. Oh no. Thomas, I hope you're okay. (laughs) I love, I, 
I have used that. I've used my golem with all physical because I do physically do it too to scare my friends and do it on oh Halloween and steal candy from t- other teenagers. Remind me not come not to come to your house on Halloween. <laughs> uh, no, lately we just watch the scariest movie with the most Halloweeny stuff that we can. We watch Phantom Menace. Um, we watch Star Wars yeah. Episode One because Darth Maul is amazing. Um, anyways, Star Wars wouldn't be a thing without Lord of the Rings, in my personal opinion. Oh, interesting. Do tell my personal opinion because having done a lot of research into Star Wars and because yeah. Lord of the Rings, George Lucas talks a lot about growing up, watching a lot of these epic stories and reading books. One of those being Lord of the Rings. And Lord of the Rings was one of the first epics around the time that he was young. So Mm -hmm. he totally read the books. And I don't think Star I don't think Star Wars would have made such a would have been as much as it was Mm -hmm. story-wise without Lord of the Rings having already existed. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. And Lord Lord of the Rings as, as a piece of literature even is just so impactful on almost every story that we see nowadays. Uh, Tolkien had just a huge footprint on English literature period and how we wrote he helped write the dictionary yeah exactly (laughs) case in point one of my favorite stories about tolkien tolkien is yeah tolkien not tolkien he hates when people he hated when people called him tolkien um but so in the editing process of the hobbit in the first draft that he sent to his editor he sent the editor sent it back saying hey you spelled dwarfs wrong it's FS with when with which Tolkien replied by saying, I don't want to use that in my fantasy world. It is dwarves with a V E S at the end mm-hmm. with which the editor replied with, no, this is how the dictionary puts it with. And Tolkien replied, I helped write the dictionary. I like it this way. And he actually did. He was one of the assistant people for compiling the Oxford English dictionary. And I love that. <laughs> bet you, like, bet you he, he called a couple, pulled a couple strings, called a couple people or approached a couple of people, I guess, uh, and got it changed from FS to VES. <laughs> so, and now technically VES when, when it's dwarves, specifically talks about dwarves in a fantasy setting gotcha. so even in the um player's handbook or things from dungeons and dragons it says dwarves mm-hmm. but dwarfs is talking like real about, life people with dwarfism yeah yeah and i'm really happy with that differentiation because then one is an actual thing and one we know we're talking about fantasy right yeah but yeah, Lord of the Rings, Tolkien, huge footprint on the world. And now let's talk. The movies also had a huge impact on the world, too. Absolutely. Cinematography is revolutionized because of the wondrous impact. No, it's the, the movies were just so good. Oh, yeah. I and 
it even impacted New Zealand's tourism but that's oh, beside the point big. oh yeah um like i want to go to new zealand because it's middle earth absolutely but like the idea of filming three movies back to back to back with the same cast there were no recasts of any character there were threats of it to people because they were being a little annoying but nothing ever happened that builds such a camaraderie between the castmate members like one of my favorite examples of this is when Frodo reunites with Gandalf in Rivendell mm-hmm. at the end of the Lord of the Rings, like yeah. return of the King. You see the joy on everybody's face when they get back together. They're all just so happy. And that's them actually just being happy. And you can listen to um, podcasts with other cast members of lord of the rings um billy boyd and uh what's his name Dom, Do, uh, dominic monaham have a podcast that they just started huh ironic um th- where they talk about how they still all hang out with each other they're like each other's children's godfathers and stuff like that like one time when uh elijah wood was younger um, like a couple, like maybe 10 something years ago, um, he found out that, uh, Billy Boyd's wife wasn't feeling well. So he drove to their house with a pot of chicken noodle soup just for them. That's just, that's such a hobbit thing to do right there. I know. And it's adorable. <laughs> it's just so cute. And like, that's what it does. And a lot of movies have tried to do a similar thing. Like Harry Potter, they, for a long time, they filmed them close to each other to have them roughly the same age though in the later movies that kind of fell off but that's okay um and i think that's just a really cool thing plus the special effects the mini- miniatures like helms deep we got to talk about helms deep for a second oh or we goodness. can we can take an entire episode like we can talk for hours in an end just about the battle of helms deep helms deep one of my favorite parts of it is when the wall explodes, right? Mm-hmm. That was done by a miniature. They actually blew it up. Yes. And that's why it looks so real. And it all is the getting blown up. all the orcs, every single one was practically done. And then there was probably the best example of a fully CGI character, Gollum. Mm. Andy Circus like it's a 20 year old movie we can i can go downstairs throw in any part with Gollum, and it still looks good better uh good if not better than some of the modern stuff from like marvel oh absolutely oh it's amazing how well it stands up i i have no idea how they rendered that thing back then 20 years ago geez yeah like this is before the iPhone. This is when they still probably had like borderline dial-up Wi-Fi. Borderline. 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 Like <laughs> I've never had dial-up, um, but they had to deal with stuff. Um, yeah, the, and, the, the amount of effort that went into those movies is just astonishing. And, and you can feel it while watching it. Absolutely. 
they they really did a very good job being respectful to the source material and also putting in a lot of their own effort to make it pop i guess you could say come to life as a movie and that is why at least for me lord of the rings has is so important has made such an impact because the people of the generation before us um millennials who were like teenagers when this came when these came out they grew up with lord of the rings like i was watching um one youtuber talk about lord of the rings cinema wins hi nice um he talks about how at every high school party he went to there'd be a lord of the rings going on in the background mm-hmm For me, it was always like, oh, it's a Marvel movie, the newest one. And there's now 27 of them. And that is the amount of effort and power that this one trilogy, three movies, not even 10 years of stuff, not even 10 years of movies. It's just three movies has made such an impact on the geek culture of the world. MCU ain't got nothing on Lord of the Rings. I'm sorry. <laughs> I Don't be sorry. Don't be sorry. I ain't sorry. Don't be because it doesn't. It just doesn't. And I love Lord of the Rings. But anyways, so I just want to say one thing that. So there's so many weird things that happen in Lord of the Rings like that they missed. Mm-hmm. Um, like one of my favorite. There's a. The term continuity error. (laughs) So when something funny happens, specifically, you know, when uh, uh, Aragorn and Legolas are running after chasing after the Urukai that have Merry and Pippin. Right. Yeah. And they run into the riders of Rohan. Mm -hmm. So when Erwin, Eomer, when he's getting back onto his horse, his sword falls out of his sheath. (laughs) like it just falls out and it's in it and i learned this like a couple years back and i have never been able to watch it the same because every time i see him i just see the sword fall out of this out of the scabbard well now i can't watch that scene and think the same thing how dare you? and now anyone who's who listened to an hour and 16 minutes ish have listened to this they got it You are so very welcome, audience. I hope you're having a great time. (laughs) Yes, I hope you are too. Please listen to more. (laughs) Um, So just wrapping up, we mentioned the TV show, um, The Rings of Power earlier. Right. What are are your thoughts on it? (sighs) I am hoping that they do it well, but I am hedging my expectations. Uh, in the 2000s, what came out was fantastic. Uh, it was a very, very well executed uh, trilogy. Lord of the Rings, extended edition, fantastic. Still, on, still my favorite movies to date. If we move forward a little bit and see the recent Hobbit trilogy, I don't feel like that was done as well. And with and with recent uh, like trends in the industry as a whole, I am not expecting something amazing. 
out of uh, Rings of Power. I hope we get something amazing, but I'm not expecting it. I'm expecting something that's okay, that's adequate, similar to Hobbit, but it's also entirely possible that it'll just be something that makes me sad inside. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know, really. I, I agree with that. Um, and personally, so I've been trying to watch the Wheels of Time, mm-hmm. the Wheel of Time series on Amazon Prime. Um, it's good. And I'm kind of surprised how good it is. I don't have any knowledge about the Wheels of Time, the Wheel of mm-hmm. Time series. I haven't read them. I've been told that I really need to, and I know that I need to. There's just 20 books or so. Um, right. There's so much. Yeah. And one thing that really stood out to me while watching the series is how much practical effects they actually used. Okay. Like the, um, I don't remember what they're called. The Tharks or something like that. The like main swarm of bad things, like their equivalent of the orcs mm-hmm. in the scenes that they had with them. They weren't CGI. They were to my, what I could see really well done practical effects mixed with a little bit of CGI. Gotcha. Similar to what they've been doing with the Witcher. Gotcha. Okay. So personally, I have mediocre hopes. I don't have high hopes. I just hope it is better than the Hobbit trilogy, which don't get me wrong. I do like, I enjoy those movies to watch yes. them. Yes. I feel like it could have been better done. The source material was a children's book, not the, the grittier realism of Lord of the Rings. I felt if they went with that, it would have been much better. Oh yeah. But here we are. Here we are. And so just wrapping up after talking about so much about the Lord of the Rings, but there's so much more. So absolutely. In your opinion, what is one thing that you would suggest to any new person who's going into Lord of the Rings with very little knowledge. What is one thing that you would say to them and don't say, watch the extended editions. (laughs) You read my mind. I'm just kidding. The one thing I would say is go into it like you were a child, but leave it as an adult. If that makes any sense. The, the way the Lord of the Rings trilogy is set up and the books itself as well is that it starts out very happy-go-lucky, very fun, very enjoyable. And as it progresses, you see, and even in the writing, uh, in the books, it gets more and more gritty and realistic and depressing a little bit. Yeah. It gets pretty depressing. Yeah. Yeah. But in the end, it should like it, it it takes the reader on as much of a journey as it takes the actual characters. And the same thing for the movies. So go in knowing that. Go in knowing that it's not just something to passively watch. It's something that you are going to experience yourself. You're going to go through the same journey with the characters. And try to take away as much from that as you can. Because really it's a very unique experience compared to other forms of media. Yeah, that's, that's very well worded. Um, and I like that idea of growing with it because as someone who's grown up 
watching these, I, I, it's something ingrained in me. And the last time I tried introducing someone who hadn't grown up with the Lord of the Rings was a friend of mine who she grew up watching like Disney movies. And we had a deal that I would watch all of the high school musicals if she watched all of the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and I, it didn't end that well because high school musical, it's okay. They're, it's the same movie three different times with a bit different backdrop. But anyways, right. um, and she went in kind of just expecting to watch a movie. And by the time we got to halfway through the fellowship, she just had lost interest, which I don't blame her. The fellowship of the ring. If you're not actively trying to get the movie. Yeah. Is a slog. Because there's not much action in the first half. and But what little there is are cool. And it's a lot of introductions. And that's, I think, something that's important when those times of the movie hit. Well, there's a lot of exposition. There's a lot of traveling. Mm-hmm. And it's really important that those times are good. Because it lets you kind of relax and take a breather from... Oh my goodness. Frodo got stabbed again. <laughs> again. <laughs> and again. Poor Frodo. And I think that's the most important thing of why Lord of the Rings, as you said, you go in childish and or with the if you go in with the mindset of learning, you will be affected by Lord of the Rings throughout whether you're reading it, watching it, listening to it in any way. And that is why Lord of the Rings was the first thing we talked about. Um, and that's that's pretty much it. Um, next week or next episode, I'm not sh- quite sure what we're going to talk about. Um, but it won't be Lord of the Rings again. We'll talk about it later on with more in detail and more of the cool things. Specifically the lore. Because there's a lot of the lore that there's we haven't so even touched. Like the last book of the return of the King is about an, about an inch thick um, when squished all the way down. No, I was wrong. I was measuring the wrong one. It's about an inch and a half when squished all the way down. And about a third of that is purely lore background information and people's genealogies <laughs> and how to speak elvish and dwarvish there's, there's it's so much, much. and it's awesome um so stay tuned um you can if you have any questions or want to correct us how to pronounce things um, please do <clears throat> there is we have a twitter which is opening underscore the gate and there's you can find us on Instagram at opening the gate Patreon still working to get it up and going. And if you have any suggestions or want to be on it or promote us in any way, send us an email at opening the gate two one one two at gmail.com. So thank you for listening. If you listen to all of this big, thank you. You're awesome. And we love you. So thank you for listening to our rambling. (laughs) Yes. Mainly that. So this has been opening the gate 
I'm Thomas Strachan McBride, and I'm thanks for listening. Goodbye. Mm-hmm.